0: Well, I hope everyone has their Bible this morning. Turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 18. And I want to wish everyone, all of the men in our church, a happy Father's Day. God has blessed our church with so many godly men, uh, men of wisdom and men of the word. And one of the reasons our church is what it is today is because of your faithfulness and your commitment to the Lord and to his church And it is a privilege to serve alongside you. Today, I want us to look at a long passage in the book of 2 Kings, a passage that covers the life of King Hezekiah from birth all the way to the end of his life. It won't be a long message, but we'll cover a number of scripture passages. And, And I want you to know, men, listen, I believe this could be, and perhaps I say this too often, but I really mean it this week, This could be one of the most life-changing messages uh, that we could focus on, one of the most life-changing passages that we could focus on. The life of Hezekiah, it's just an amazing story that tracks along with what happens in so many lives, especially in the lives of men today, and even in the lives of those in the church. This study, this week, the life of Hezekiah has been life-impacting for me, and my prayer is that it will be the same for you. So I just want us to begin. Chapter 18, verse 1, the beginning of his life. Let's read a few verses. The Bible says in the third year of Israel's king Hoshea, son of Elah, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, became king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. So notice the connection there. Here it says that Hezekiah was just like David. David was a great king. Hezekiah was a great king. And he tells us a little bit about his greatness beginning in the next verse. He says, he removed the high places, shattered the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. Now, these were all popular places of pagan worship here in the nation of Israel and Judah. This would have been a very difficult task for a king. He would have been cutting against the grain. He would have been doing things that were not popular, but they were the right things to do, and he did them. He was faithful. He honored God in everything. And then notice the last part of verse 4. This would have been uh, really perhaps one of the most difficult things he did. It says, he broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made, for until then the Israelites were burning incense to it, and it was called nehushtan, which just means snake. We talked about this in our online Lord's Supper, if you were a part of that a couple of months ago. And we we learned that there was a time because of the sin of the people of Israel that God judged them. And the way he judged them at that particular time was to send these poisonous snakes. Can you imagine? And so many people were dying. They, they repented and they called out to the Lord. And so the Lord had Moses make a bronze serpent. And lift it up on a pole. And we talked a couple of months ago about why it was a serpent and why it was a pole and what all that meant. But as people would look to that serpent, they would be healed from the disease that was a result of the poison and they were spared. Now, that's a good thing. And this serpent, this bronze serpent was a great thing. But over time, it had become something that they were worshiping. They were worshiping not God, but the serpent. And sometimes, listen, church, we can be so focused on the good old days that we fail to honor God in these days. And that's what was happening here. And so Hezekiah, such a great godly man, such, a, such an effective leader, he even destroyed this bronze serpent. Look at verse 5. It says, Hezekiah relied on the Lord, the God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands of the Lord uh, that uh, had been commanded through Moses. He was a great, faithful king until he wasn't. And you're going to hear that uh, over and over today. Uh, Hezekiah did everything right. He was committed. He was faithful. He honored God until he didn't. But, But let's see some more. If we turn over to chapter 19, we really see this strong faith in action. And we can't look at the life of Hezekiah without uh, noticing what happens here. Uh, He's king, the main primary enemy of Judah, of Jerusalem at the time was was the Assyrians. And they uh, were a very strong nation and they had a strong army. And in fact, the king of Assyria was on this mini world conquest and he had wiped out 46 city-states in a row. And number 47 on his list was Jerusalem. It was Judea. And so he he takes his army and he surrounds the city of Jerusalem. Now I want you to get this in your mind. Uh, The Assyrian army numbered 250,000 soldiers. And so these quarter million soldiers have circled around Jerusalem. Now, how many people were in Jerusalem? All total, 10,000 people. Had Jerusalem mustered every man who could, who could pull up a, a spear or a bow and fight, they would have been able to muster approximately 2,000 soldiers. So this is a quarter of a million soldiers versus 2,000 soldiers. It was a helpless, impossible situation. What is Hezekiah going to do? Well, the king of the Assyrians sends a letter into the city for, uh, for Hezekiah to tell him he needed to surrender. Uh, this was what the Assyrians would do. They had destroyed so many cities that it It had really come to the place where they could just bring their quarter million soldiers and people would just quake in fear and they would just surrender. And so he sent a letter that said, surrender, or you're going to be number 47. So what did Hezekiah do with this letter? Well, chapter 19, verse 14 tells us the story. It says, Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger's hands, read it, and then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. So he took the letter And he went to the temple uh, where they would pray to the Lord, and he spreads the letter out. He wants to show it to God. God, look at this letter that the king of Assyria has sent. And then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. And there's a prayer in the next few verses. I won't read the whole prayer, but this is a model of the prayer we ought to be praying every time we're in an emergency, every time we have a crisis. In fact, every day, this ought to be our prayer. Let's look at some of it. He begins by saying, Lord God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the heavens and the earth. Listen closely, Lord. And hear, open your eyes, Lord, and see. Hear the words that Sennacherib, that's the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God. And so he tells God exactly what's going on. Uh, The the implication is here, he probably reads the letter to God. God, I want you to know exactly what the situation is. And then if you look to the end of the prayer, verse 19, now the Lord our God, please save us from his power so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are God. You alone. He says, God, answer this prayer and save us so that you will be honored in all the kingdoms of the world. So what does God do? All these quarter million soldiers, everybody's waiting. It, uh, it, it seems like it's a hopeless situation. Hezekiah prays. How does God respond? Turn over to verse 35. 2 Kings nineteen thirty-five. It says, That night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So the the king sent a cherub of Assyria, broke camp and left and returned home and he lived in Nineveh. And in the next verse he dies, by the way. His life is over. God had had come through Uh, for Hezekiah as a result of his prayer. God had come through for Judah and Jerusalem in, in an amazing way. Now, It's an interesting note here, archaeologists in recent years have uh, uncovered uh, ancient Nineveh and they have uh, dug down and they have found the palace of the king of Assyria and they have found on the walls of that palace where the king had recorded his military history and he lists 46 cities. Forty-six kingdoms. And he would give the name of the kingdom, and then he would say how he destroyed the kingdom. And so here's battle number one, here's the outcome. Battle number two, here's the outcome. You get all the way down, 46. Number 47, it says right there on the cave wall, and I want to get this right. Of course, it's not in English, but uh, the translation is this. Jerusalem is mine. Hezekiah is trapped like a bird in a cage. And then when you get to the place where he recorded the results of all of his battles, you know what it says? Nothing. It's just proof, proof that the Bible is true, proof that God took care of his people. And so this man, this, this country had been successful battling all these kingdoms until he comes up against the Lord and he is destroyed. So that's, that's Hezekiah's faith in action. Now look to verse to chapter rather chapter 21 I'm sorry chapter 20 Hezekiah becomes ill and it's, uh, we don't know exactly what the illness was but it was a terminal illness. He was told that he was about to die this was the end. Well Hezekiah when he was in a difficult place before what did he do? He prayed And so now he faces death, and so he prays, and he asks God to spare his life and to heal his disease and give him some more years. And you know what God does? God answers. Gives Hezekiah 15 more years. Says, I'll give you health, I'll restore your health, and I will will give you 15 more years of life. That's chapter 20, verse 6. Now, what do you think Hezekiah would do at this point? What would you do? God gives you 15 more years. You're right at the brink of death. You have lived a faithful life. You've come to the end. Now, God shows his kindness to you in this exceptional way, 15 more years. You would think if Hezekiah was ever going to serve the Lord, if he was ever going to be faithful, he certainly would be faithful now, but he's not. And this is where the whole story begins to turn. If you look at chapter 20, verse 13, and I would love for you to go back and just read all four of these chapters, but look at verse 13 of chapter 20. Here's what Hezekiah did when he received his restored health, his 15 bonus years. It says, Hezekiah listened to the letters and showed the envoys his whole treasure house. Now, there was another, uh, another enemy nation the Assyrians, they're off the scene now, but the Babylonians are on the scene. And the Babylonians send some messengers with a gift for Hezekiah, and it seems like they're just being kind, they're just trying to bless Hezekiah, but it's a trap. They're there to, uh, to spy, to inspect, to find out what's really going on in Jerusalem. And so it says that Hezekiah shows him his whole treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the precious oil, and his armory, and everything that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his palace and in all of his realm that Hezekiah did not show him. Now, why would you show somebody who comes from a foreign land, uh, a potential enemy, why would you show him all of your wealth and all of your armaments? Well, we'll see in a moment from Second. Chronicles that he does this exactly because of his pride. He thought, look what I've done. Look what I've done. I'm, I'm victorious over Assyria. I'm the only king that has ever beaten Assyria. Look at all of my wealth. Look at my military. And that was a lie. Hezekiah hadn't beaten Assyria. God beat, had beaten Assyria. Hezekiah didn't, didn't amass that wealth. God had shown him kindness. But he doesn't honor God. He is filled with pride. Isaiah, the prophet of the Lord, Then comes along, look at verse 17. Isaiah says, look, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up today will be carried off by the Babylonians. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants who come from you, whom you father will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Isaiah says, you've messed up and everything's going to be lost because of your sin, your pride. Now, what do you think Hezekiah would do then? I want, to, I, want you to see, I want you to see Hezekiah's response in verse 19. I know we're reading a lot of text this morning, but I want you to see how the story comes together. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, Now, Hezekiah, I, I want to make sure you know, Isaiah has said, Hezekiah, because of your sin, now the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to take everything that has been collected by you and all of your fathers. All this wealth is going to be gone. The city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And your children and your children's children will be taken slaves and be made eunuchs because of your pride. So what is Hezekiah going to say? Verse 19, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good is good. What, is, what does Hezekiah mean that this is good news? It's not good news. The, the whole kingdom is going to be destroyed. Why does Hezekiah say this is good news? But well, we see in the last part of the verse, for he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security during my lifetime, Hezekiah said, well, as long as it's going to be okay for me, as long as there will be peace in my lifetime, as long as the the destruction and the problems, as long as the evil, as long as the enemy will be held off through my lifetime, then who cares? This is good news, Isaiah. You're telling me that there's destruction, but the destruction comes after my lifetime. So this is good news. The selfishness of Hezekiah is amazing. And then just to wrap up the story, I want you to see what happens next. Verse 1 of chapter 21, just continuing on, says Manasseh. Manasseh would become the next king. He's the youngest son of Hezekiah. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hepzibah. Uh, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, Imitating the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites, he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed and he reestablished the altars for Baal. He made an Asherah, an Asherah pole as as King Ahab of Israel had done. He also bowed in worship to all the stars in the sky and he served them. So, So Hezekiah dies. His son becomes king. And his son, in just a few short years, undoes, undoes everything that Hezekiah had accomplished. Everything, everything good that Hezekiah had done, it is all destroyed. It is all over. Now, here's what I want you to notice about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great king until he wasn't. It, it could be argued that Hezekiah was the greatest king the greatest king, at least the most most faith-filled king that Israel or Judah ever knew. He was perhaps the greatest king until he was not. And then Hezekiah, without question, was the king that left the worst legacy possible. Because Manasseh, no question, was the worst king. So Hezekiah, the greatest king, until something changed, and then that led to the legacy of the worst times, the most evil, the most sinful times, and ultimately, the destruction of uh, of Judah and, and Jerusalem. You see, men, listen. You know this. It's not how we start, but it's how we finish. Uh, nobody gets a gets a trophy for leading halfway through the race. You, you know, men, that nobody gets a championship ring because you were winning at the end of the third quarter. The only thing ultimately that matters is how we finish the race. You're not a great golfer because in the first nine, you were under par. It's the end of the course. It's the end of the race. Hezekiah, one of the greatest men, one of the greatest kings, one of the greatest stories in Scripture, some of the greatest faith. But in the end, he failed. In the end, he, he, he faltered. So... What I wanna do, and what I did for me this week, what I wanna do for you is to go back through the story just briefly and show you the three ways, I believe, that Hezekiah faltered before the finish. Uh, The three ways he forfeited this, this great legacy. Are you ready for them? Number one, he let the enemy in the house. The Babylonians, they were the enemy. Now they may have seemed harmless as they brought this gift to Hezekiah, uh, but they were a pagan nation bent on world domination, and Hezekiah knew that. Listen, men, I'm going to be vague here intentionally, but you will know exactly what I'm talking about. If you let the enemy in the house, he will destroy you. And so Hezekiah allows the enemy to come in and and, and look behind the curtain and see the treasure and see the armaments and see the defenses. And so the enemy later on destroys Jerusalem. It's in chapter 25, verse 10 says, the whole Babylonian army that came with captain of the royal guard tore down the walls that surrounded Jerusalem. Now Hezekiah would never he would never have surrendered to the Babylonians. He proved that when the Assyrian army was there and they were, when they were threatening him, he, he trusted the Lord and he prayed and he refused to surrender. And, and, and I think Hezekiah would have said, I would never surrender to the Babylonians. But, but he commits this, what might have seemed to him to be a very small infraction. He, He he does something that must to him have seemed like a very insignificant thing, and he allows the enemy to come in, and that leads to the ultimate destruction. Does that make sense? Sometimes we we will stand and say, I would never do that. As a man, as a man of God, as someone who loves my wife and loves my children, I would never do that. And, And perhaps we're right, except... That if we allow the enemy into our homes, if we allow the enemy into our lives, we will find ourselves doing things we never thought we would. I read of a pastor and a counseling appointment, this is uh, not my personal experience, but, uh, but I, think it's, uh, I think it tells a story. He, he was counseling one of the men in his church. Someone came in and said that he was guilty of uh, being unfaithful to his wife, and he had been caught, and... So he shares with the pastor some of the details. And the pastor listens and, and says, Well, tell me the story. And the man says, You know, I, I would not have thought in a, in a million years I would have done this. Pastor, this is not who I am. Uh, this, is, this is just an, uh, almost an accident of, 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 of circumstances. The pastor says, Well, tell me. And so the man begins to tell the story. And the pastor's listening, but he's heard this story a hundred times. Every pastor has. And, and so he listens to the story, and as, as this man confesses from the very beginning, the pastor just pushes his own coffee mug just a few inches further away from him on the desk. And he listens to the story, and every minute or so, he just pushes that coffee mug about three more inches and three more inches. The man continues to tell the story, and finally, the coffee mug is just, it's just right on the edge of the desk. Then the pastor reaches out and just tips it over, falls in the man's lap. He jumps up. Pastor, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the pastor said, listen, I'm sorry. It was an accident. I never intended for it to happen. And then all of a sudden the man gets it. The man gets it. You see, if If we continue to push toward the edge, if we continue to let the enemy in the house, every little push may seem insignificant. Every little push may not seem to have any consequence, but eventually, if we're close to the edge, it is inevitable. We'll fall. Hezekiah lost it all because he allowed the the enemy in the house. He failed in the last third of his life. I, I thought about that because... Some of us are in the last third of our lives and we know it, right? Some of us are in the last third of our lives and we don't know it. Uh, some Some of you are not in the last one third of your life, but you're headed there, right? And it's the last third that counts. It is how we finish that counts. And right here, Hezekiah had run his race well. But then he fell. You see, you will not fall off the edge unless first you're close to the edge. Every public fall is preceded by private choices. If you let the enemy in your house, they will take over your kingdom. So uh, Hezekiah was faithful for 40 years. He did so much for the Lord and so much for the people and so much for the nation. But then one seemingly insignificant choice and everything came tumbling down. He let the enemy in the house. Now let me share with you another thing he did that I think was, is just as important and it's just as dangerous. Uh, Hezekiah flunked the test of prosperity. Let me tell you what I mean by that. There, there are tests, men, that all of us are going to face in life. There's the test of adversity, and then there's the test of prosperity. And just because you... Pass one test does not mean you will pass the other test. Hezekiah passed the test of adversity with flying colors. When he was between a rock and a hard place, he trusted the Lord. He prayed. He exercised faith. He did what was right. He stood uh, the fire. He trusted God and he remained faithful. When things were tough, when there was a test of adversity, Hezekiah did well. But now, Life is easy for Hezekiah. He's in his last 15 years. His health is good. His bank account is strong. There are no longer any threats to his authority. Now this isn't the test of adversity. This is the test of prosperity. And he flunks the test of prosperity. This story, it's interesting. You find it in 2 Kings. It's also recorded in 2 Chronicles and it's also parts of it recorded in the book of Isaiah. So there's a richness to this story. Let me share with you just a few verses from 2 Chronicles that, that talk about his, uh, his test of prosperity. It says, Hezekiah had abundant riches and glory and he made for himself treasures of silver and gold and precious stones, spices, shields, and every desirable item. He made warehouses for the harvest of grain, new wine and fresh oil, stalls for all kinds of cattle. Hezekiah succeeded in everything he did. When the ambassadors of Babylon's rulers were sent to him to inquire about the miraculous sign that happened, God left him to test him and discover what was in his heart. What was the test? What was the test that he had in these last 15 years, in the last third of his life? What was his test? Right here he says, he said it was a test of prosperity. And then 2 Chronicles 32, 25 says, however, because Hezekiah's heart was proud, Hezekiah didn't respond according to the benefit that had come to him. He didn't recognize, he didn't acknowledge how good, how kind God had been to him. And so there was wrath on him, Judah, and Jerusalem. How how many, how many of us, listen, man, how many of us, we do well in the test of adversity. When, when there has been a challenge, when life has been hard, when it has been difficult to be faithful, we were faithful, we trusted the Lord, we prayed, when it looked like there was no way out, when it looked like things might come crumbling down, we just believed God would take care of us. We were faithful men when life was hard, but now life 's easier now there aren 't as many challenges now. There's money in the bank. Now there's no threat to authority. Now we're coasting a little bit. Now perhaps is the greatest challenge though. This is the challenge. This is the test of prosperity. And so many men, they, they pass the test of adversity, but they fail. They, they flunk out in the last third of, of their lives. They fail the test of prosperity. If you're in the last third of your life, men... No one should be more thankful than we are, right? Because we've seen the kindness of God. Like Hezekiah had seen the kindness of God. If we're in the last third of our lives, nobody should be more generous than us because we know of the generosity of God. Nobody should be quicker to serve than us. None of us should be quicker to give. Nobody should, should outpace us. But the truth is we get to the last third of our lives, men, and we flunk so often we fail the test. of of prosperity. So Hezekiah, the test of adversity, flying colors, test of prosperity, an absolute failure. And then the third thing, just quickly, uh, he failed because he neglected the next generation. If if you look back to uh, chapter 20, verse 19, that verse bears reading again. He's just received the news from Isaiah that... uh, the Babylonians are gonna come and they're gonna destroy everything and they're gonna they're gonna take your children and your children's children away. And so in verse 19, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? As long as there will be peace and security during my lifetime. That's all he cared about. Hezekiah cared about Hezekiah. He just wanted to know: will there be peace for me? Will I have enough? Will my position be secure? What was the consequence of his selfishness? You see it in the, very, in the very first verse of chapter 21 that we read a moment ago. Manasseh was 12 years old. Let's stop there. What does this tell us? Manasseh was 12 years old. The, nec- the, the next king, this wicked king, was 12 years old when, when Hezekiah died. That tells us that he was born during these last 15 years. This, this son was born during the selfish years, during the years that he was coasting, during the years that he was prideful, during the years that he didn't care about anything but himself. That's when Manasseh was born and it made an imprint on his life. Because he didn't see the faith of his dad, because he didn't see the prayers of his father, because he didn't see the sacrifice, because he didn't see how how his father would risk it all to be faithful to the Lord. All he saw was selfishness. All he saw was a man, all he saw was a father or a grandfather that cared about himself and not the next generation. And it left an imprint on Manasseh's life. You know, today we... We, we have a lot of Hezekiah Christians. We have a lot of Christians. They love the Lord and, and they have served the Lord and they can look back and, and point perhaps to some amazing times in their lives. But, but in the end, all they care about is themselves. Oh, they, they're not worried about the next generation. They're not worried about who they're gonna share the gospel with. They're not worried about young people coming to know the Lord. They've done their time and they're coasting with pride to the last third of their lives. They're Hezekiah Christians. And we have Hezekiah churches today. Churches that are, that are more concerned with providing just a comfortable place for the last 15 years. Just, just a comfortable place for us to live out the last third of our lives. And, and, and churches that don't care about reaching the next generation and don't care about making changes that might need to be made or sacrifices that may need to be sacrificed or do service that might, that might need to be done. We have Hezekiah Christians and Hezekiah churches. Hezekiah, because he wasn't concerned about the next generation, he he failed to be faithful. I was thinking this week that my heroes, the people that I most esteem in life, my heroes have changed through the years. I wonder if this is true of, of some of you. When I was young, uh, the people I admired most were the talented people, you know, the, the skilled people, the gifted people. I, I remember as a young man, I, I would see people who could do great things, that were great speakers or great motivators or great whatever, in whatever field. I, I admired the talented people, but then I got a little older And I recognized that talent doesn't always equal success, right? There are a lot of talented people that just blow their talent, their gifts. And so little bit by little bit, I stopped admiring the talented people, and I started admiring the successful people. And there was a time when they... The people I esteemed most in my life were just people who were successful. Successful pastors or successful businessmen. People who could show you a track record of success. That's who I wanted to emulate. But you know, now that I've gotten a little older, perhaps at the beginning of my last third of my life, I I don't so much admire the, the gifted or the talented, and I don't so much admire the successful You know who I esteem now? The faithful. The men who went all the way to the end and they were faithful to God. The ones that didn't quit, the ones that didn't turn selfish in the last third, the ones that didn't abandon their children, abandon their wives and abandon their church, the ones that continued to be generous, the ones that continued to serve. Listen, I don't care if anybody ever calls me Skillful or talented or gifted. I don't even care now if somebody calls me successful, but I want it to be said of me that I was faithful. See, that's the mark. That's what it's about being faithful to the Lord all the way to the end. You know, I'm afraid today that there are a lot of Hezekiah dads. Hezekiah dads, and and they were great dads, but they, they weren't faithful to the end. There are a lot of Hezekiah pastors. There are a lot of Hezekiah deacons. There are a lot of Hezekiah husbands and Hezekiah Christians. They burned brightly, but they fizzled before the finish. I don't want to be Hezekiah. According to Jewish tradition, when Hezekiah died, they buried him with two other kings. You know who they are? They buried him with, this is interesting, with David and Solomon. Next time I go to Israel, next time I'm in Jerusalem leading a group, I'm going to get the men and we're going to get up early in the morning. And I want us just to go out to to the tomb. They've discovered it they know where it is you can go there today i want us to go to the tomb of david and solomon and hezekiah and i want us as men just to sit there for a while and i want us to think about these three great men david man after god's own heart right david the one who defeated goliath david the one who restored israel Great king, until he wasn't. The end of David's life, everything came unraveled because of his sexual sin and his selfishness. Great king died in disgrace. And then there's Solomon. Great king, wisest man who ever lived. Man of prayer, man with such potential. He was the one who followed David and one of the few men who could walk in David's shoes. Solomon, greatest wisest man ever. But because of his selfishness his whole life just fizzled out in the end and he did he died in disgrace. And then there's Hezekiah. You've just heard his story no question the most, most faith-filled king in history. But in the last third of his life, he forfeited it, and he died in disgrace. And I'd like for me and a bunch of men just to sit out there. It's not much to see. I, I looked at a picture of it this, uh, this week. Uh, but I just want to sit out there on the rocks. I don't think a lot would even need to be said. I, I, I just want us to think about these three great men and how their lives never made it to the godly finish line. And I want us to think about our own lives. What matters is how you finish. Hey, just one more thing. Some have written correctly, I believe, that uh, the first half of The first two-thirds of Hezekiah's life is a picture of Christ. Uh, Whole books have been written on this, how how there are so many parallels between uh, the faithfulness of Hezekiah and and Jesus Christ. And Hezekiah was, in a sense, a a picture of of Jesus who had come. And we can celebrate that. But, But here's what I see. Here's the connection that I see. You take the three greatest kings, David, Solomon, Hezekiah. They all failed, but the king, Jesus, will not fail. That's what it reminds me of. These three greatest kings, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, ultimately lived for themselves, but the real king died for us. I told my wife we were at Walmart. Uh, a couple of days ago, uh, Friday afternoon, I believe, and we were walking back out to the car. Not that that's important, but I'm just picturing in my mind and I was talking about the message I was going to preach. And I said, listen, I'm, I'm humbled by this because if David couldn't finish, if Solomon couldn't finish, if Hezekiah couldn't finish, then who do I think I am? What my wife reminded me of is that you have the Lord. Men, what should we do to finish well? We need to hold with everything we have to the Lord. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if there's never been a time when you have humbled yourself and surrendered to him, when you have said, my only hope is what Christ has done, it must start there. And today you can do that. You can put your trust. You can surrender to Christ. And that's where it has to start. But, men, if it started there already, your only hope, my only hope, is that we hold tight to Jesus in every way reading our Bibles, praying, worshiping, confessing our sins. My only hope, my wife said, is Jesus. Just see your head bowed and your eyes closed. Father, I'm thankful for the example of these three kings. The first half of their lives It inspires me to faith. Father, I'm also thankful for their failure at the end because it warns me that I could fail too. It warns me that without Jesus, I will fail. Help me. Help me not be Hezekiah. Father, I pray that our church will not be a Hezekiah church. Father, where people need to surrender to you for the first time, may that happen today. And for those that need to renew their surrender, may that happen today. Jesus is our only hope. We hold tightly to him. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.